Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the East, powers of the podcast. Hear us. Hail to the guardians of the watchtower of the South, powers of the podcast. Hear us. Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the West, powers of the podcast. Hear us. Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the North by the powers of the podcast. Hear us. Show us your glory. Show us your power. We, we pray, pray to, to thee, thee Maron. Maron. We, we pray, pray to thee, Koenig. We invoke thee. We, John, do you feel anything? Uh, no. I don't either. This isn't working. Why? Do you think it's because we're guys? Yeah. C.D. Doyle's onto something. Patriarchy sucks. Hi, and welcome to The Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And as fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories, production, monster quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. And this podcast will put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. Okay, well, uh, I guess we're going to have to go without um, without any of the podcast gods with us today. Um, but uh, we do have someone with us in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we're going to be doing is, is we're starting a new kind of mini-series where um, we are walking through the book Dead Blondes and Bad Mothers, written by Sadie Doyle. And... Um, pulling movies from that and talking about it mm-hmm. in relation to the book. And this this episode serves as our introduction. Yes. Using her introduction. Right. And so um, if you want to read along, um, we read the introduction titled Domestic Terror for mm-hmm. this. Um, and so just a little bit about the book. Um, I was drawn to it because of how highly it was recommended on the Faculty of Horror podcast. Um, and so I was really interested in seeing, like, if, is there anything in here that I could potentially use for, like, the upcoming semester of the Monsters class? Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I think we've always kind of been interested in monster theory, and we've, we've added things to the Bibliodrome before. Mm-hmm. It's been a while, but um, I, I think it's it's kind of good to to look at what um, some of the I don't know, contemporary critics are saying about horror mm-hmm. and trying to see where that falls, how that helps us determine what passes the test and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. It did make me, I mean, and I will say, even from the introduction, is that it feels as significant of the book as Men, Women, and Chainsaws was. I mean, that was yeah. a really important book for me, and mm-hmm. I can already tell by the introduction that this will feel that way too um you know already in in the miss class you know that's always come up in conversation about okay why are there so many female monsters and that's a topic that she addresses right off the bat and it really digs into the root like why in ancient as well as modern storytelling (laughs) do the do females you know, what is monstrous about them? What are people afraid of and why? Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to carry on almost as a literary tradition. Yeah. It's not just, not just females, but females with power. Right. Right. Are monstrous. Yeah. So, uh, it should be a really interesting study. Um, if you like it, then maybe we'll do some more, um, kind of read alongs. Um, uh, but let's get started. So, 
In the introduction, um, we aren't given too many um, specific references to movies. Uh, now in the later chapters, there, there are uh, sections dedicated to, to the particular movies that are referenced. Um, but there is um, a quotation from the craft. And so this week we're going to be um, discussing the craft and getting a little into chapter one um, with um, a quotation from Firestarter. So mm -hmm. those are gonna be our two films this week. Mm -hmm. um, so let's start with Firestarter, which was released in 1984, directed by Mark L. Lester, written by Stanley Mann, based on the novel by Stephen King, uh, starring Drew Barrymore as Charlie, David Keith as Andy, Heather Locklear as Vicky, Freddie Jones as Dr. Joseph Wallace, Martin Sheen as Captain Hollister, and George C. Scott as Rainbird. Yep, so let's start with production. Uh, the film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, direction, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. So I think the first thing that stands out in this movie is like, it's a pretty heavy acting cast there. Yeah, we've got some, we've got some names in this movie. Yeah, um, you know, this is um, Drew Barrymore as kind of in popular child actress mode. Yeah, um, fresh out of E.T. Yeah, and of course, uh, Martin Sheen, George C. Scott. Um, so you have some like great actors here um, in kind of, I mean, Martin Sheen's role is just... I mean, it's kind of like any other role for him. Um, but George C. Scott. <laughs> He's had, an executive or the president. Yeah. Period. Uh, he had a, uh, a ponytail and an eye patch. And was this was the most over the top I've seen him in anything. Yeah. He's typically, he typically, typically kind of plays the straight man, mm -hmm. you know. But here he's the eccentric assassin. Yeah, and it <laughs> it takes it took me a little bit to be convinced that he was an assassin. I mean, you have I don't the moment know if I ever was convinced. Oh, okay. Well, the karate chop to the nose is yeah. the setup for his ability to do that later. But right, but I, also apparently part of his assassin ability is to be manipulative. Right, and. Right. Um, He's manipulating everybody in this. Yeah, the scenes of him manipulating Charlie are are pretty hard to swallow. I mean, I guess Charlie's supposed to be pretty innocent and naive, but at the same time, maybe it, maybe it makes more sense in the book. Have you read the book? No. I've always thought this was kind of a blind spot for me. Um, because I, I've read so many Stephen King books, but just never this one. Um, and you know, I, I don't regret it. <laughs> um, no, that's the thing. I think it's, you know, it's hinging off the popularity of sort of the supernatural psychic phenomenon of the, what, the 70s going into the 80s, where it's just like, as a culture, we were fascinated with telekinesis. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Carrie builds off of that. But I think Carrie's just a better version of this idea. Exactly. It that's a version that still feels fresh in a right. way that this feels so overdone and formulaic. Um, I mean, I hate to say it because Stranger Things is it's such a ripoff of so much of mm -hmm. 80s Stephen King, but I mean, if you want to watch Firestarter, just watch Stranger Things. It's a lot better. It handles the girl with um, telekinetic powers in a much more interesting and emotional way than it does here. Yeah, and I think what's... I, in terms of story, that's a, I think I told you when we first talked about this, I feel like the story is good but the movie is not. And even though the movie is good at telling the story, uh -huh. 
the movie doesn't do the story justice. I mean, I, I totally what after reading this and or sorry, having watched that and then reading this shortly after, it got me noticing things about um, the movie how all the other characters are male, right? Except for there are a couple key placed females in there. You have um, like the woman at the farmhouse. You have um, the wife, obviously, um, but who's you, not in the picture. I mean, they're mother figures. Yeah. And then, but then you also have sort of the complicit females of the agency right. that are kind of running around. But other than that, it's like all the other actions are male dominated, trying to tell this little girl how to use her abilities. Right. Um, and then her father trying to be protective. And it's like, I get it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, the movie doesn't move beyond. Right. It doesn't seem like it has much to say at all. And that's because everyone who works for the shop is, which is the government organization, is just one dimensional and evil. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, There's there's no complexity. I would say George C. Scott's character is the most interesting, even though he is the most cartoonish, um, because he does kind of switch between... um, seeming like a person but then um being uh completely heartless like the scene that i'm thinking of is is when he you know reminds martin sheen's character that part of the bargain is that when Mm. when they're done with the girl he gets her and what he what's he gonna do he's gonna shoot her because no one should have that much power um and it's just, I mean, that's as much nuance as we get in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's so much that you could do there and even like room for that character to get worse or better. I mean, yeah. Wouldn't it be more interesting if, if he actually felt something for her while yeah. pretending to be her friend? Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. He, but they don't they don't make any room for that whatsoever. Right. And also Charlie as a character never develops any more than just being the like cute girl in danger. Yeah. You know. Um I don't really feel much of her struggle that she's supposed to have in controlling her powers. They try really hard. Well, yeah, like what is her role in deciding how she uses her powers versus yeah. like does she listen to her dad? Mm-hmm. Um, does she listen to these other guys that are telling her that she has a great power and she should use her ability like and like hone it and use it in this way? There, like like you said, like the story opens the door and gives that potential, but then nothing happens with mm-hmm. it. Um, I will say. One thing, production-wise, the special effects in this movie, so much pyrotechnics, like practical effects, that are fantastic. There's so <laughs> there's so much fire in this movie, especially at the end. Sure. I mean, the fire itself looks good. Um, <laughs> I mean, the only other thing you get is kind of uh, a fan in front of Drew Barrymore's hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but at the same time, that is used un like unironically later in other movies we see it in the craft yeah um it kind of becomes the way that <laughs> people depict like psychic ability for a while it you, is. i wonder if it's is it like a fire starter thing um i can't I think, to think of something earlier um, i can scanners i don't think scanners does anything with wind though no that's what i mean yeah they just do the like grabbing the head like, yeah and like a sound yeah the piercing sound um no I, I can't think of one but yeah i've seen it in other um places as well yeah yeah that uh the nosebleed uh-huh like oh the nosebleed is so common yeah yeah um and so maybe this is where you know it's it's influential in that way and that it it develops these uh, tropes, but I feel like they've either been done better elsewhere or they're so overdone, it's lost its effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's a shame that 
this really is more from the father's perspective because mm -hmm. I think having more of the mother character would, would have been pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. She, I mean, she, she essentially abandons her, right? No, well, that's what she, that's what, um, I think that's what um, Charlie thinks, but then her dad finds her mom murdered in the closet. That's right. That's yeah, right. I think he's like trying to protect her from the truth of what yes, happened. Yes, probably just to control her rage because like that's what he's doing the whole time is trying to control her anger, mm -hmm. right? So she doesn't lash out. But then that causes undue like a trauma to Charlie because she thinks she hurt her mom and made her leave. It's like right. it's a lot of manipulation coming on from the dad who's seeking to protect her. Like it is, yeah. Which doesn't quite, it doesn't seem to fit. Like, I don't, I never really understood the motive of that. Why, why not tell her the truth? The shop, is he afraid that she's just going to go out and do what she ends up doing anyway by destroying the shop? Perhaps. But, um, I think something that, that stands out too, um, kind of connecting it back to Sadie Doyle, that I think this movie does a good job of portraying. It's like her idea, she says, Fear of women may be the single most important truth of misogyny. A cage, after all, has two purposes. Of course, it serves to keep women confined, hemmed in, to prevent us, prevent us from going out into male territory and getting what men have, the jobs and money and respect and power that are so much more accessible if you're male. But the second purpose of a cage, the more interesting one, is to protect the world from what is inside it. On some level, the cage exists to keep women from getting out. And I feel like that's what this movie is. It is. And... I think that it's it's definitely a, a topic worth exploring, and I hope that there are other um, stories that we get to see that are kind of about that. I feel like this one isn't that successful in portraying it, and and maybe that has to do with the fact that like this was such a male-heavy movie, written by men, directed by a man starring a bunch of men mm -hmm. and the only um you know serious um female part is a child mm -hmm. um so i don't know i'm curious to see kind of where that idea um goes yeah. throughout the book and i and i think it's an idea that we've seen successful before like in silence of the lambs right yeah. so it's going to be a that's a male-dominated film, but it really is about Clarice, that's, and it's successful. That's such a good counterexample because, yeah, that movie is it, it does it so well. Yeah, it, but it, ha it carries a lot of the same ideas that I think this is going for. But again, I think um, Carrie, Carrie as a book and a movie does it better. But I would have liked the movie version of Carrie mm -hmm. to have the ending that this movie has with total chaos and destruction like it has in the book. In the book, it's like straight up apocalypse. She's like yeah. tearing up roads and stuff. Yeah, I feel like that's the level of destruction that we have at the end of this movie that Carrie as a movie doesn't have. So it's like, Stephen King, let's just make mm -hmm. both. I want to see like Carrie apocalypse happening. Um, so have you seen The Rage, Carrie 2? Does that happen there? Oh, I know. I haven't seen that. I don't know either. We can watch it. I don't know. <laughs> no, it. I don't, I don't want to watch I don't it. I think it's worth it. Okay. Um, okay. So, so what about... Production? Are you going to give it a point? No. I'll give it a point just like I said. Because of the story, the writing. It's like if we had half points, I would do that. But yeah. we don't. So I'll just give it a point. Okay. Um, monster quality. Uh, the film's monsters are frightening, clearly relate to archetypal fears, and have depth. I don't think there's much depth. No, that's like what we were saying. Even the male characters that are supposed to be monstrous don't have enough depth. We see, <laughs> we see the Martin Sheen character, the the guy who is literally supposed to have the most power, mm -hmm. is easily manipulated by every other character, mm -hmm. including the dad when he you know takes over his mind, which yeah. I thought was cool. Why isn't the dad doing that more often? <laughs> well, he's on drugs for half the movie. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like the movie was more interested in showing 
kind of explosions and action stuff than yeah. really exploring um, the patriarchy um, mm-hmm. or or really delving deep into character or theme. So it it does feel like sort of a missed opportunity mm-hmm. um, in that way. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think this movie is is really considered at all a classic like Carrie. Um, the quote that's that's used in the book is, "She's very beautiful. She's very young. Yet inside her is the power of the gods." Do you remember when that's said? It's said by, um, um, what's the actor's name? The eye patch guy. Oh, George C. Scott. Yeah. yeah. He says that. Yeah. Um, um, and it's I think it's said as part of his argument. It's when he's first saying that he wants to take her as he's having that mark. Yeah, like no I one should have the power. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great line. It's great. That's what I mean. Out the writing is good. Context. <laughs> but like the, the things that are supposed to be monsters in this movie aren't aren't monstrous enough right um, like you said just fall flat even even charlie mm-hmm. if we're supposed to be afraid of charlie and her power we don't get the sense but like in carrie we're like scared of sissy spacek there right right so yeah i think it's um i don't think it it has the depth needed yeah. to pass monster calls because i think with the characters if we wanted to add depth or potential for depth Right, like I think the male characters are really afraid of what they would do with a power like hers, and that's why they're scared of her. Yeah, because they it's like a potential thing. But again, I, they don't even explore that. Right. Um. So I I can't give it a point. Okay. So then, what about scare? Scare factor. The film has a clear intent to scare. It must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember when I first saw this movie, but even then, I didn't think it was scary. I probably saw it on HBO or rented it from Blockbuster or something. Yeah. But had you seen it before? No, this was my first time. Like I said, it was a hole in my Stephen King canon. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it it's definitely lesser King. You know, he has some interesting ideas, but... They're just not, there's just no depth. There's um, there's just not enough there to hold on to. And, and I, again, I don't think the intent is to scare. It's an action movie. Yeah. Daddy-daughter thriller. Right. So, no points. Okay. I, like, I wouldn't put it in the diaper. No, uh, just non-canonical. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to our second movie then, uh, which is The Craft. Um, now, this movie was released in 1996, directed by Andrew Fleming, written by Peter Filardi and Andrew Fleming, story by Peter Filardi, starring Robin Tunney as Sarah, Feruza Balk as Nancy, Nev Campbell as Bonnie, and Rachel True as Rochelle. So what do we think? So production. Um, the... Pr- <laughs> This, oh, there's so much. This this movie is so 90s. Oh Um, my God. Even from the intro, we're flying through the clouds in the beginning credits. That's Mm -hmm. exactly, and the soundtrack. So many 90s needle drops there. Yep. Um, It's, this is another one that's kind of, it's a little hard to, um, to separate from just growing up. You know that and yeah the the impact that this movie has had on culture future movies and then also you know people would cite this as like their first horror movie like that yeah. got them into the idea or like made them like you know fall in love with witches like yeah. maybe even start practicing some witchcraft i don't know right and i mean we have at least one student at the high school who is is a fan I mean, she wears the craft shirts. She kind of styles uh, her her fashion after Farouz the Balk. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think it created a whole mm-hmm. army. Yeah. But does it stand the test of time in production? 
in production, what I call it timeless. You know what they're, so I didn't, I thought I had seen this movie. Like I knew enough about mm-hmm. it. I knew what the plot was, but as I watched it, I was thinking, I don't think, I think this is my first time seeing this movie. Right. And so production wise, the effects weren't as bad as I thought they would be. Mm-hmm. And there were more practical effects than, than I thought there'd be. Sure. Like the end, like when she's going through the house and she's seeing all the bugs yeah. and the rats and all that stuff like spewing in from all corners, that freaked me out. Yeah, it was very tactile and gross. Yeah, yeah. and I liked it. Yeah. Um, it, it, I wasn't expecting that from this movie. I thought it was going to be all sort of like story-driven drama. Uh-huh, yeah. More than those sort of like, there, there are definitely like horror moments mm-hmm. in it. The sharks washing up on the shore yeah. was really cool. Um, the rituals weren't as like hokey as I maybe thought they were going to be. When they're in the woods. Uh, yeah, that stuff felt, um, there, there's a certain authenticity to it. Like, it, it did feel like four high school girls, like, Yeah, up to the point of the, like, 25-year-olds playing the high school right, girls. Right, right. <laughs> they're supposed to be, like, sophomores, I think. Yeah. Um, clearly <laughs> not. And they're, like, and uh, it was funny because I did, I watched this with Kristen, in the beginning when um, they're walking to uh, the, the the magic store mm-hmm. or the occult store or whatever, yeah. and they go through all of, like, the um, the derelicts, like, homeless people, like, in the city. Kristen's like, I don't remember any of that. Like, there's a moment where they're hanging out on the couch, mm-hmm. and, like, in the background, there are people sitting around a barrel. Like, they're just among the... The homeless. Oh yeah, and that was a little. Like, really, is that? <laughs> well, and there's that homeless man that really serves no purpose other than provide a kind of jump scare at the beginning. Right when he gets hit. Snake. Oh, when he walks into the house. Yeah. <clears throat> oh no, that's right. He does. He gets hit when they move in. Well, when, and, when they move in. Yeah. He walks into the house and there's that jump scare. Like. Yeah. What do you think of this? Uh-huh. Like, which is dumb. He's holding a snake, but he. Before he gets hit by the car, he says um, that he communicates with the dead. I think that guy is supposed to represent, like, her dead mother trying to get back in touch with her. Really? That's how I read it. Because it, Just because he said that before he got hit with the, um, hmm. with the truck. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, but then they don't do anything else. With well, it. I mean, I guess that is, that's kind of the moment when they realize that they, they have some power. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. because they all wanted him to get hit. Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess he does serve a purpose in that way. But I just thought it was a very clumsy um, stereotype of a homeless person. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah. So here's what I'm struggling with with this movie. Um, I I don't know how much of this. I I wanted it like this is basically mean girls with witches. Yeah. Um it's very much about the dynamic between these four female friends. And it's a power struggle between Sarah and Nancy. Mm-hmm. And all of the conflicts are really um based either on that power struggle struggle or on how each girl has kind of her own issue. Like Neve Campbell is badly scarred. Mm-hmm. And so all she wants is for the scars to go away so she can be beautiful. Do we know how she got the scars? Is that ever some fire? Yeah, I'm not sure. Because when she first said that, I thought it was gonna be like cigarette burns or something oh. like that. And then we see it's like, no, it's right full body, like yeah. yeah, she was in a fire. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be so, yeah, some kind of self-harm. Yeah. Um, although uh, Sarah has scars from cutting herself, so mm-hmm. so she's done some self-harm. Um, and, yeah, I, I just... For, for a movie that is, I think, now kind of seen as a very iconic movie for... Um, 90s feminism 
there just didn't seem to be a lot it had to say about the patriarchy or or anything. I mean, the con. I, well, so does it pass the Bechdel test? Does that mean it's good? Like, yeah. I just I wanted. <clears throat> I I just would think that this movie would kind of be more about struggling against more of the the, the institutions that repress these young women um, when really it's more about like how they repress themselves each other uh I think I think it becomes about that I can see that in the beginning though I feel like those institutions are represented right so we have um, you know before they kind of when they choose what they want their power to be yeah um, based on like how they're feeling uh, oppressed Okay. Right. So we have like, I hate to say that it, it feels kind of token, but like the like the racial struggle. Right. And but yeah, and that's it is kind of a one dimensional. Yeah. Uh, she's the black character. Her struggle is about her race. Yeah. Um, and what's her name from the um, Zoolander and. Jan from the Christine Taylor, yeah, um, plays Laura Lizzie, who's who's the kind of lead bully, um, and she just flat out says, "I don't like Negroids or something." That's what she says, yeah. Which is almost like a laugh line because it's so it's it's so strange, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it it was a little bit disappointing with that, um, and and then with Nev Campbell's character, it's about her beauty and her vanity. Um, Feruza Balk is jealous of Sarah over a boy. That's the other thing. I think the other ones fall flat too because like her both of theirs are sort of male driven or like i mean meaning yeah. like it's it's about a guy which again the institution the idea i mean he basically tries to rape her at one point she experiences but that's trauma. also because he's under the spell right no, okay. but before that he does brag to his friends that they that had he's sex like, right yeah and so that i mean he's he's problematic like he's he's not a good guy um but the conflict isn't really about his actions. It's about their reaction to him. Mm -hmm. And so it just seems like they, this is more about girls tearing each other down than anything else. Right, right. Which is kind of a bummer. And it's like, it's almost like the lesson at the end is that you, you did have this power, you do have this power all along, but you have to use it in in this certain way. But again, she still has, um, what's her name? Sarah, right? Yeah. She still has the power at the end. She does. And she's using it maliciously still. Yeah. Selfishly. Yeah. I would say. Um, yeah. I don't know really what she learns by the end. She, um, well, yeah, she just learns that she has this, this gift. Like she has this power. Right, but she's inherently good, whereas Nancy is yeah. inherently evil. Yeah, and she rejects the other girls. Yeah. Which I thought, I don't know. I mean, I get why she does. I mean, they tried to kill her, and they're just sort of the followers. Like you said, it's just like Mean Girls. It's like once the queen is dead, they need a new queen. Right, but Mean Girls has that, you know... It has the reconciliation and it has the kind of deeper messages about um, society and how people shouldn't be tearing each other down. Um, whereas this, it just feels, it feels so 90s in a way that it's like a very special, each character has their very special episode uh -huh. that is about one um, 
extreme thing that is wrong with them and it doesn't have much uh, it doesn't have much else to say about society mm -hmm. and so i think perhaps its most useful function is that of like just representation because we have because it's a movie about the weirdos you know um you know the quote from the book is um the part that where you know um they get off the bus the driver says you girls watch out for those weirdos nancy we are the weirdos mister remember that from the trailer mm -hmm. but yeah it doesn't seem like it has much else to say other than just being a piece of representation and that's where and that's what I, I think it's definitely that's a strength of the movie for sure but, but is that all that for, it has yeah for our category like you said there's the you know production needs to be timeless in its iconography um some of it feels dated I think these characters need an update. I think the story mm -hmm. needs an update for it yeah. to be even more. It has potential for power. And I feel yeah. like that's what the movie's about, too. This is yeah. about uh, young. I really like the witchcraft stuff. Like, I yeah. thought that was done in, like I said, in, in a somewhat authentic feeling way. Yeah. Um, and so I almost want to give it a point for that. Um, but see, like, I don't, does that belong in production? Or monster quality. That's what you're yeah. saying. Well, I would say, in the way I'm describing it, yes, um, because I'm I'm talking about the way that they they use magic, um, they they make their incantations. Mm. You know? oh, okay, so how the it's how that magic is represented. So you feel like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not so much about <clears throat> how Nancy becomes evil and. They fight. They have their you know magic fight at the end. Like mm -hmm. that. That's what I'm not crazy about. So, yeah, I'm I'm inclined to to give it a point for production because I think it it does have value. Um, however, yeah, I, I I kind of agree with you. I think it it really badly needs an update and. I feel like if it were made today, it would have a lot more to say. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I am not going to give it a point because okay. it doesn't meet the timelessness criteria. Yeah, I, th I get it. Even though it's popular and I see now, like I know why this is a really important movie for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I don't mean to downplay that at all. It's just like as a movie, is it a good movie yeah. that we would put up against a number yeah well i'll say this um you know lost boys did not like get in the canon or honorable mention despite that being a very popular formative movie for yeah. some that's true like that's this good. isn't about you know putting a movie in because it's popular or even if we because we like it right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and it's not saying that the movies that aren't in our canon are unimportant yeah um even though that, you know, I mean, it's always kind of my fear. Like, I, I just, I don't want any, anyone to think that our canon is, you know, exclusionary to outside opinions. But it's just, you know, I do want to make a list that we can go to to make recommendations of movies that we think are, are interesting and timeless that can appeal to everyone. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that this movie, I mean, we, we haven't quite gone through the rest of the rubric yet, um, but I just, I don't know if that movie um, kind of holds up compared to some of the others. Yeah. So yeah. So, I, so you can give it a point. I'm not going to give okay. it a point. That's fair. Monster quality. Uh, so like we're going through who are the monsters, we have those villains that each individual mm -hmm. Uh, character has to face and then you know they have to see themselves become the monster as well i i kind of like that i think this movie it gets dark in a lot of places um because i think part of one of the monsters is that like that anger aggression um between 
females. Mm-hmm. That happens not only among them in the group, but the anger that gets carried out against that. Um, uh, who's the other one? I like you said the the girl with the hair that falls out. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. they're pretty Christine satisfied Taylor. that that's yeah. that's happening to her. Mm-hmm. And it's portrayed as like the worst possible thing that could happen, happen to, to her. A beautiful girl. Yeah, is that she loses her hair. Yeah, yeah. So I'm inclined to give it a point for that reason because I think those depictions even though that we said that a lot of the institutions kind of fall flat i feel like there's enough there to want to give it a point because it's a step in the right direction i think yeah i'm kind of torn on this i don't know i don't know if it's enough i don't know if it goes beyond just the the surface level here um Can I talk about Let's something look. that's problem- problematic, yeah. even though I want to give it a point? I think the fact that um, the that Sarah, she gets to have the power and is the one that quote-unquote wins at the end, mm-hmm. but she's also the one that's keeping her power hidden, where, like, in contrast, the other character, the... Um, Nancy. Nancy, she loses because she's the one that wants to take it to the next level. Even though it's for selfish reasons, she's mm-hmm. the one that just want, is the only she's the only character that keeps it completely like out in the open, mm-hmm. and is is also I think honest about her selfish want to use her power how she thinks she should use it, and she's the one that loses. Yeah, that's what I, I think is problematic. But I like that we have yeah have I, that. I guess the problem is I don't find Sarah very compelling as the lead character mm-hmm. um and her conflict with nancy just doesn't i just want it to be more about more than just about a boy mm-hmm. um which I, I really think at the core that's kind of what it's about um you don't think it's like uh jealousy because like don't you think nancy knows that sarah has a greater a greater power than she does i think so i i think the jealousy also is wrapped up in the boy in the too that's, yeah because that's how she used like that's the kind of weapon that she uses when she's in the with, end yeah mm-hmm. um and so i just i would like to see more about that Nan- nancy is a monster um let's see yeah she she uses her powers for selfish reasons. Um, and yeah, you can make the argument that she is entitled to, to a degree of power. Um, but she's she's definitely not selfless. That kind of goes against, she's, she serves as like a contrast against the, the type of older witch that we see who... Um, mm-hmm who's like my favorite character yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) in the book i think she's great or the movie i think she's great um i want more of of just her what's what she do like daily like when the store closes what she She lights candles yeah that's what she she takes a lot of time to light candles because there's a lot of candles uh, yeah i might have a crush on the older uh (laughs) um who's french um so you want to go into her like pentagram room or oh, yeah. te- her temple it's her yes. temple that's what she calls yes. it yes uh, <laughs> so yeah i don't know um i will give it a point um and i although i i do think it is in need of in need of an update like i said yeah. i think there's a lot of missed opportunity here mm-hmm. to dive deeper into dynamics between women. And maybe that's another example of just, this is a story uh, written and directed by men, Yeah, you know? Um, and so it's just not as interesting or as believable as some of these amazing movies that we've had in the past you know know, since the 90s 
mm-hmm. where the friendship feels more authentic. Um, the relationships are more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'll, I'll give it a point um, with a little hesitation. And I think, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I give it a point with hesitation because like as a witch craft and a witch movie, I like where it's going with like how the rich witches are depicted, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily as effective as other ones that we've seen. Um, yeah. Autopsy of Jane Doe, The Witch, mm-hmm. right? We see. You this know. is very much about them and their lives. Um, yeah, and maybe that maybe that's meant to be authentic because you know high school girls can be very self-involved. And if they had the power of a god, then they would, you know, they would get a nicer apartment with a nice room mm-hmm. to decorate. I don't know. But oh, <laughs> that feels so shallow, though. It does. Um, <laughs> and I know that, yeah. And that's the thing. Could you substitute? I, I think that, you know, they chose witchcraft because they wanted that sort of like the outsider, the pariah. Yeah. Yeah. going on which is a feeling that i would say a lot of teenagers have but especially female teenagers yeah have uh, at that point in high school like sophomore year right um but could you substitute the witchcraft with something else so i'm thinking like x-men mutant powers i'm thinking of psychic powers or like it comes from somewhere else like does this have mm-hmm. to be a witch movie i don't think so yeah and that's what i thought it was going to be i thought going i thought it was going to go more of that um just superpower kind of route but mm-hmm. i like that it didn't always do that yeah um which kind of takes us to scare factor um it has some horror mo- moments in it yeah like got, i said some of those um like the toilet full of maggots and everything yeah. like that was creepy um, outside of that, was there anything? When the guy, when he does get hit by the car and it shows it and the tire runs over the back oh, of his neck, yeah. like that is, yeah. as the kids say, John, that was legit. <laughs> um, yeah. Apart from that though, I'm not sure if anything else, like I, there are a few times where I was a little in and out of the movie just had a little trouble uh, keeping me engaged. Yeah, the, pa- the pace is weird. Yeah. Uh, there's not like a, like we've seen in others, like that beautiful like rise and fall of the action and pull of the mm-hmm. tension. Like it doesn't have that. It, kind of, it seems like very choppy. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't leave it uh, scared. Like I said, yeah. There were just those those moments horror related moments that, that i liked but yeah so again I'm, it's not it's like firestar i wouldn't call it a horror movie what would you call it a teen action drama um yeah well so imdb has it labeled as drama first yeah. and then fantasy and fantasy then horror. yeah yeah horror adjacent yeah, to use that I really, that yeah. Like. Um, but it's a really, <laughs> that's the thing for for a lot of fans. I don't remember, um, what does uh, Faculty of Horror say? Didn't they do the craft? They did. Eventually? And, and I think they liked, I think they had some nostalgia to it right. as well. Um, they also don't, you know, canonize movies like we do. Right, um, they, their goal's different. And so I think they had a lot, to, a lot more to say about it than we do. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if this, I mean, it's, it's, you know, hasn't scored enough for the canon. Um, and that's the thing. I, I don't think it belongs in the canon, but I also don't want to diminish the importance that, that this movie has for a lot of people. Right. It may have been their gateway. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't know of anyone that I would necessarily like recommend the movie to. Like, I wouldn't. And is that just because I'm a guy that I'm just like, yeah, not saying you need to see the craft. 
I mean, I put it maybe at the bottom of my list of witch movies. If I was giving mm-hmm. somebody a list and say, yeah. hey, here are the witch movies that you need to watch. Like, do you like the occult? Yeah. I'm, I, I, I guess in that way, I'm, I'm comfortable with, with not putting it in honorable mention. Um, because like, like you said, with, uh, you know, earlier about the lost boys, it's not, you know, this yeah. not, is not necessarily about, um, it's place in pop culture. It's about these traits that we're looking for in the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a lot worth exploring in the movie and I'm glad that the movie can mean a lot to different people um but based on what we have it just it, yeah i think I, it just misses the mark i acknowledge the importance of the movie but i don't know that it fits for our canon i think we're going to find as we work our through the way through the book we're going to still find more important yeah. movies that i think have the depth that we're looking for yeah yeah i mean carrie carries in the canon that's going to be one uh, that gets talked about in the first chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, then that wraps up our first episode in the Dead Blondes and Bad Mothers miniseries. So what are we watching next in chapter one? Yeah. So part one is titled Daughters, and chapter one is all about puberty. So we're going to be watching the movie Ginger Snaps and the movie The Right in talking about that chapter. Awesome. So not only can you watch along, you can read along. Yeah. So you can check out more episodes at theterrortest.com or follow us on Twitter at the underscore terror underscore test. Fences down, the terror test is over.